The Planchet is a product of the American Numismatic Society. Become a member and support this podcast. Go to numismatics.org slash membership. That is numismatics with an S dot O-R-G slash membership to see options and prices. Welcome to The Planchet, the podcast of the American Numismatic Society. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt, and I recently had the chance to meet in person the eight students and visiting faculty advisor who are participating in the 2023 Eric P. Newman Graduate Summer Seminar in Numismatics. We started a tradition in 2022 of getting to know a little bit about the seminar cohort, where they're from, and how they use numismatics in their PhD and postdoctoral research. But that's enough of me talking. Let's hear from them. I'm Liesl Gentelli. I don't have a university right this minute. I did my PhD at the University of Western Australia, and then I relatively recently finished a postdoctoral research fellowship at the Ecole Normale Supérieure de Lyon in Lyon, in France. Um, and now I'm out there looking for grants, mostly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. Um, when, when you did your PhD, what was the topic? Um, I know sometimes you can get into PTSD about, you know, the writing and the research and everything, <laughs> but what did you study? What did you write about? Um, my research was on a, well, a few assemblages of silver coins that were associated with ships wrecked off the West Australian coast. This is pre-European colonisation of Australia, so very, very early wrecks. Uh, mostly Dutch. I had one American wreck and one Portuguese wreck as well. Uh, and the silver coins are mostly uh, 15th to 19th century silver. So I was doing like compositional analysis, so trace elemental analysis and also microstructural analysis uh, to determine when, where, why they came from. Uh, and so at the time, of course, we're looking at mostly American silver uh, that had been very much around the world and I really liked that aspect of it that it was very very global and included Australia which had not been uh, colonized yet um, so the silver's coming from the Americas it's going to Spain it's dispersing through Europe it's ending up mostly in the Netherlands it's coming down around Africa it's heading off to China uh, but it got got stuck got stuck in Australia, <laughs> got stuck in Australia. <laughs> it did <laughs> well uh, no, that, that's outstanding so so um, now that you're here at the ANS, what's your project? You know, having put the wrecks behind you, uh, what's, what's no, next? No, I like the wrecks. Yeah. I don't, they don't need to be behind me. So when I went to Lyon, I, I suppose I should say, so I did the trace elemental analysis in Perth, in Western Australia, uh, and I found it was limited. It was very, very fun to do, and I did find out a lot, but I wanted to know more, and I realised that lead isotope analysis would do that for me. And so when I went to Lyon, we, I was working on, again, silver coins, not shipwrecks, but very, very early silver from the Southern Levant, so even hack silver, uh, and very, very early like Athenian owls or Wappenwunzen from even before that, uh, applying lead isotope analysis to them um, from some absolute pioneers in lead isotope analysis. And so what I want to do in future is take what I learnt there and apply it to my more sort of early modern material. I really like the 17th century, just think it's a great century. <laughs> um, and so I would like to, yeah, just, just find out the, those few unanswered questions that I still had and then expand 
uh, into other silver. I did do a couple of silver objects, not just coins, and so I want to expand into other silver objects as well. Right. Yeah. Um, have you had a chance to play around in the vault yet? I um, have. Okay. What, I what have. I have <laughs> <laughs> um, had Dr. Jesse Craft jumping up and down every two seconds, getting me more and more trays of <laughs> coins. Uh, I've been looking at um, coins that are relevant to, I suppose, the, the sort of the shipwreck material I used to deal with, but in much nicer condition because they haven't been underwater for 300 years. Uh, so I've been just just now looking at uh, Mexico and Peru and I've got him getting all the Bolivia material out and then I make him go across the the little corridor in the vault and I make him go snoop around in the European collection, yeah. <laughs> get me all the Dutch stuff, all the Spanish stuff, and I'm just I'm just having a great time. If you want uh, a distraction that's germane to those interests, <laughs> you should make Jesse go and find you the eliminated box tallers. <gasps> okay. Of which we have probably a half dozen. Yeah. And uh, do you know what they are? No. All right, they're tallers that, you know, that oh. have been hollowed out. Yeah. And then it's got a, uh, like a screw top. And so you unscrew the coin, and on the inside, you can remove uh, hand-painted miniatures oh. that are inside the silver coins. Awesome. And yes, okay, I'm going to get him onto <laughs> that. I'll get him onto that. Yeah, I bother him a lot. Yeah. I've, there's also, I've seen the big, the big, big bullion. Mm -hmm. I'm like, Jesse, <laughs> can I have the big, big bullion? <laughs> We've got to work out if I can carry it to, oh. to work on it properly. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we shall see. Uh, how did you find out about the Anna Summerson and uh, I've been aware of it for several years now, and I've been wanting to come for several years. Uh, and timing-wise, this is this is where we're at, uh, and I'm so happy to be here. Um, I realised that through my PhD and my postdoctoral research, I approached it. I mean, my my background is an archaeologist, and I am now, I suppose, an archaeometallurgist. And I have approached the silver as silver. Um, and I've worked with some really incredible numismatists. But I don't know very much about coins, considering how much I've worked with them. And I've worked with numismatists who would look at a horrible, corroded lump of silver and say, yes, that's Mexico 1652. I'm like, it's like magic. <laughs> how do you know that? Or the, or the hack silver and the debates like is it is it money or not I've never even thought about it so I thought I've got to I've got to get a solid foundation in this so I know what I'm looking at yeah no, precisely mm. um, uh, what were your first impressions when you arrived day one <laughs> day, day one look day one was um, I arrived from Australia about 5 30 in the morning oh. <laughs> and then I managed to find my apartment and then find my way here and so my impression of day one was mostly the inside of the subway Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but my impressions of ANS, um, obviously I was expecting to, to be sort of wowed by the big collection, and I was. Um, but beyond that, I think, and I shouldn't be surprised by this, and I suppose I'm not, but uh, just the expertise here. Like, not everyone knows everything, but I think combined, they probably do. And any question, as niche or as broad as you can think of, somebody's got the answer. And it's just, it's just a fantastic environment.
I'm Mark Rodoni, and I'm from the University of California, Irvine. Okay. And uh, do you have a thesis topic yet or a thesis title yet, or is that something you're working towards? My title is as yet sort of uh, unspecified. I have a working title, but generally my dissertation concerns the intersections of uh, the economy, society, and the environment in late antique uh, Central Asia and Near East, uh, specifically specifically focusing upon Sasanian Iran Shah. Wow. So what, what uh, drew your attention to the Sasanians? Uh, I was a classics minor, or classics major actually, classics and ancient history major as an undergraduate. And as I did my uh, master's work, I generally drifted east. I did some field work in Jordan, working on Roman sites, and became more interested in the Parthians and interest in the Parthians uh, while I was still doing classical language work naturally led to the Sasanians. And uh, that's how I ended up here. Uh, I did a classic example of medizing. Okay. <laughs> Can you explain what medizing is to you know, some of the listeners? Sure. So medizing in Herodotus, uh, in the context of the uh, Greco-Persian Wars, Herodotus describes, I think, Alexander I of Macedon is the prime example of a person of the Greek ecumen or the Greek world or rather the Greek speaking world since the ancient Greeks wouldn't have considered Macedonians Greeks by any means uh, going over to the Iranian or Persian side and he uses the archaizing term Medizing rather than associating the uh, Achaemenid Persians with the Medes, uh, their predecessors in the sort of succession of Iranian empires in the ancient Near East, rather than using Persianizing or any other term. But that's to say generally that I started with a uh, Mediterranean-centric perspective and have gradually shifted eastward uh, across now the decade plus of uh, studying the ancient world. Excellent. Um, would you consider yourself to be a numismatist, or did you, do you use numismatics more as uh, archaeological or historical tools to inform your work? As a student in the seminar, I certainly wouldn't consider myself a numismatist. I would. I want to develop skills using numismatics and do work numismatically, but uh, my, I'm much more of a dilettante in coinage studies at this point. Um, generally, for doing economic history, particularly in an Iranian context, coins are uh, of unparalleled value as sources since we generally have a relative paucity of uh, written sources, particularly compared to our neighbors east and west. So it's uh, very useful and the general continuity um, and I guess sameness that endures throughout the Sasanian uh, the four centuries of Sasanian coinage is very useful for sort of like tracing both the developments ideologically of the empire, but also getting a sense of uh, the stability of their fiscal regime. So not a numismatist yet by any means, but I would like to, you know, continue to develop as one. Sure. Uh, how did you uh, find out about the seminar? So I've known about the seminar probably a decade now. Um, I feel like most folks who uh, are studying any topics that intersect with either coinage from an art historical perspective or from an economic historical perspective uh, encounter papers published in the American Journal of Numismatics 
And I know my advisor did the seminar in 1995. So it was a foregone conclusion that I was going to do my best to also come here because where else in uh, you know, the Americas are you going to go to study Sasanian coinage? Sure. Um, what were your impressions when you first kind of walked in the door? You know, the, the very first time, the very first morning, you know, getting through the station and everything, what was that like for you? Uh, it's a bit, I don't know, uh, it might be, I was going to say a bit overwhelming. I think that might be the correct word to use. The security apparatus <laughs> is definitely uh, daunting as someone who is uh, not used to walking through vault doors in uh, their, you know, normal quotidian live, uh, lives. So, yeah, it was a bit impressive, but then once you get back here at, uh, in the library, it's like a standard uh, special collections library, and the vault is, uh, once you get past like the 800,000 unique artifacts, it's like, oh, it's just another museum collection. Uh, <laughs> wow, well, and so um, is the, are the Sassanians your, your project this summer, or are you working on something a little more discreet? So, well, uh, yes, it is discreet, and yet at the same time, uh, it sprawls a little bit too, but I'm researching a hoard of coins that Newell acquired in 1931 from uh, a site on the Egyptian Delta, and they are all uh, late period Sasanian coins dating to the reign of Hormes IV and Khusrael II. Um, I'm very curious to sort of spend the summer, uh, and I'm looking forward to spending the summer trying to unpack why they are there and what that horde, uh, discreetly dated as it is to the end of the Sasanian occupation of Egypt, uh, can tell us both about sort of the uh, socioeconomics of the people who might have conveyed those Sasanian coins to Egypt, and just getting a general sense about like how that fits into a broader picture of trying to understand what is happening in Sasanian Egypt and more broadly in the reign of Hushro II during the uh, so-called Last Great War of Antiquity. My name is Charlotte Garant, and I'm at Columbia University. Okay, so not too big of a commute. Not at all. <laughs> um, where are you in your PhD studies? Do you have a topic yet? Or are you mid-writing or, or what's going on? Yeah, I'm actually beginning the last year of finishing uh, my PhD. Um, I'm in the writing phase and the topic is the dis is a, a stupa, so a relic mound dedicated um, to relics from the life of the Buddha. Um, the stupa is called Barhut. So, um, writing a dissertation on all of the sculptures and the landscape and sort of reinvestigating the site as a whole. Okay, uh, where's the stupa? It's in Madhya Pradesh in India. Okay, what part of India is that? North Central India. North Central, all right. Um, so what kind of numismatic evidence are you working with? Um, or you know, again, as I've been asking you other students, is, is that part of the whole? Is it part of the context of the research that you're doing? And if so, you know, how does it connect with uh, the work that you've done? Yeah, that's a great question. So in my studies, I've found that there's a really striking use of signs. So my dissertation is an investigation of the use of signs to strategically represent 
the Buddha, because as a perfect teacher, he's pretty much impossible to represent. But that sign uh, used at Barhut, which is a, a tree shrine, is actually um, on punch-marked coins and also earlier cast coins from the Indian subcontinent. And it turns out, in fact, that even the Indo-Greek king Agathocles imitates this sign. So if we decenter the narrative away from monuments, we can see that there's a whole world of signs that predates the stupa. Um, what do you mean when you say signs? Are these sigils or these, what, what is that? So it's the representation of a tree with a small railing around it and um, it's inscribed with the name of the Buddha on the, the site um, of Barhut. So still investigating exactly what that means in terms of coins, but that's one of the main reasons why I'm here. Sure. Um, so you know, now that you're ANS and part of the summer seminars, is this uh, your project that you're working on, or is, are you doing, you know, I know a couple of other you know, students in your cohort are doing some things that are adjacent to their research, maybe as a little bit of a vacation or you know, turning something into an article about a horde study or a dive study or something like that. Is that what you're up to or, or what's your project? Well, I'm focusing on the Agathocles series, which is sort of a pseudo imitation series of these tree shrines from the coins of India, um, which is maybe a, a way of saying it's adjacent to my dissertation topic and will certainly inform the broader range of tree shrines because if they're using them at Barhood and, you know, an Indo-Greek Indo is uh, copying that tree shrine, it must have been um, important enough for them to try and imitate that symbol. Okay. Uh, how did you first learn about the summer seminar? Uh, from a colleague of mine at Columbia, Jeremy Simmons, who oh, also, yeah. he works on Greco-Roman worlds, but also um, he has traveled throughout India, and we have a lot of colleagues in common through that. Okay. Uh, outstanding. Um, what were your first impressions when you arrived at the ANS on day one? Oh, I loved it. I mean, yeah. I was amazed how many Indi Indian coins there are, and how much there is to explore, and I've learned so much already. I never thought that I would be so invested in weights and metals, and you know, I've really been a stone person until now, and it's, it's been amazing. My name is Peter Satterthwaite. I'm a fourth-year PhD student in ancient history at UPenn. Okay. Do you have a thesis topic or a title? Is it well underway? Are you about to defend? Where are you in, pro in the process? It's just barely started. So I just okay. finished my coursework and almost all of my exams uh, and had uh, my prospectus defense. So okay. my project is just at the point where I have uh, formulated it and I have not yet started. All right. So you have your to-do list. I do, yeah. Um, I've got my work cut out for me. What's, what's, the, uh, what's the topic? So I'm interested in sort of public finance in Hellenistic Greece. So my topic is going to be on how uh, private wealth factors into public finance in these Greek city-states. Wow. So at least, uh, you forgive my ignorance, but are you talking about like people doing home loans? Uh, mortgages and stuff like that, or what, what kind of uh, public financing from, from private individuals are we talking about? So the two main categories that people tend to think of uh, within this is, would be, on the one hand, taxation, where it's sort of mandatory contributions from private individuals and private funds uh, going to be spent on public goods, essentially. 
Um, and then the other form is what we call euergotism, uh, but is generally philanthropy, um, which are sort of donations voluntarily made to the cities um, and also spent for the, the benefit of the community, but rather than being sort of mandatory and unrewarded like taxes, uh, they're sort of uh, rewarded with honorific statues or inscriptions uh, or special privileges. Um, and so the, the two main ways that people think about private funds going into the sort of public coffers are taxation and philanthropy, uh, but there's actually a whole bunch of other complicated phenomena in between, and those are the ones I'm looking at, that gray area. Um, do you find yourself using physical numismatic evidence, or are you working more with uh, you know, inscriptions and historical documentation, or is it kind of a mix? Probably the lion's share of the evidence is inscriptions, but I'm really interested in the material side of finance. Um, it's something that we, as modern users of financial technology, take for granted that you can swipe your credit card and everything. Um, but you know, if you if you don't have the coins in the right denomination, or uh, you know, you don't have the the cash on hand, that can uh, raise problems, especially for a city. Even when a city has you know steady revenues. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have large sums of cash on hand with which to start a building project or fund a military campaign. So uh, sort of issues of monetization I'm, I'm realizing are really, really important uh, to the questions I'm asking. How did you uh, first hear about the summer seminar? It was recommended to me years ago uh, when I was an undergraduate, um, already sort of interested in uh, ancient Greek archaeology and history and economy. Um, so it, I heard about it from uh, an undergraduate professor of mine uh, back when I was doing my BA degree. Who was that? That was William Bubelis. Okay. I think he participated in the seminar uh, a while back. Yeah, you know, you have this, this kind of lineage of you know, who began who <laughs> or, or, or uh, uh, one, of our, one of our other summer seminar students from a few years ago used to call him uh, uh, Dr. Fodders, you know. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so you, you have this kind of lineage, you know, people kind of lifting each other up as, as they go through. It worked for me, it can work for you. Yeah. Um, you know, outstanding. Um, what, did, what were your first impressions when you arrived on day one at the ANS? I think I was, uh, I didn't really know how to, to picture it. I sort of I knew that it was sort of ensconced in uh, downtown Manhattan um, and I was really sort of uh, surprised by it. It felt like a sort of little secret corner of uh, of numismatics in sort of the the big and kind of intimidating uh, skyscraper landscape of of Lower Manhattan. Um, sort of coming into a big building and going all the way up to the eleventh floor, and then uh, there in you know the the corner of this big building um, was sort of uh, yeah like a treasure trove of library and and vault and uh, and and people all working on this um, that I had been sort of very excited to to visit for for many years now so it's sort of uh, yeah it, it felt like uh, an exciting sort of entry into a sort of a, uh, a sort of mystical and almost <laughs> secretive uh, um, sort of uh, yeah special place for 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 people doing numismatics and, sure. and interested in history. Yeah, um, 
so now that you're here, um, are, are you working specifically on something related to your thesis, or are you doing a separate topic, or working on a particular chapter? Um, what's your project now that you're I'm here? working on uh, not something related to my thesis. Um, uh, Peter Van Alphen actually suggested to me uh, that I work up an unpublished hoard that actually was in the collection of Edward Newell. Um, which is a really exciting opportunity for me, an opportunity to sort of uh, build some skills working with hordes and uh, working towards publication, uh, sort of cutting my teeth for the first time on uh, dye study type work, um, as well as working with the archival material that's kept here in the library, um, notes that Edward Newell kept, um, and that also uh, some other scholars later on uh, have have kept as they've been working on this material. So I'm excited to be working on this. It's a horde of uh, 72 Histiae and Tetrables okay. uh, from the, the late third and early second century. So I'm going to be working on that. It's a new uh, historical question for me, um, but I'm excited to sort of build the numismatic skills and, uh, and work with some of the archival material here and really make the most out of uh, all the resources uh, and opportunities that are here. Sure, um, so I'm Elizabeth Fajardo, and I am a PhD student at the University of California, Berkeley, in their graduate group in Ancient History and Mediterranean Archaeology. Outstanding. Uh, do you have a thesis topic yet? No, I'm still in coursework. Yeah, oh, um, okay. So I work, my research is primarily in um, labor history, so I'm interested in um, the way that non-elite communities um, form connections and ties and um, how that relationship functions in relation to like a state um, or regional power. Um, it's interesting with when you're dealing with that kind of topic I'm wondering what kind of numismatic evidence there might be to support the work or are you working more from you know I, I don't know if inscriptions is the right word but you know news sources and stories and oral histories and things like that too or I mean I'm working from a bunch of different things over this summer I am less interested in the topic and much more interested in um, trying to nail down the structure. So um, my project right now, I'm working on a group of coinage of Vindex and Galva, um, and I'm trying to think about how military revolt um, interacts with a state power and like who legitimizes different kinds of civil strife. So I, it relates in a kind of amorphous way to what I plan on my dissertation being about, but structurally, the, um, it is really similar. So that's kind of how I'm orienting my research right okay. now. Is that the project that you're going to be working on when you're here with the seminar, or are you working on something a little different? So that's the project I'm that's working the project? on. Yeah. Okay, no, excellent. Um, how did you find out about the seminar? Um... There are a good number of people from UC Berkeley who are in my department or adjacent to my department who have participated in it. Um, so there are a couple professors who, like Carlos Nreña and Emily Mackle who did the summer seminar a while ago. Um, 
but I'm sure they would want me to say not that long ago. <laughs> um, and then there are a couple students like Talia Prussian who did it a few years ago, um, who's also in my department, who just finished her PhD. So I've, I've heard about it from a couple people. Um, and then my background um, before starting at Berkeley, I was a double major in economics and classics. So I'm really interested in um, how those two different fields can kind of gel and numismatics definitely is at the center of that Venn diagram in an interesting way. Yeah, yes, indeed. Um, what were your first impressions uh, when you arrived at the ANS on day one? Positive. Great. <laughs> Good. You know, I think Good. I think it's awesome. <laughs> oh God, here I am at the ANS. <laughs> no, it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Everyone's lovely. Everyone is really supportive. Yeah. Definitely. I think because the summer seminar, it, it kind of appeals to a group of people who know a good amount about numismatics, but also covers the bases enough that you can come in with pretty little numismatic knowledge and really like jumpstart your research, which I kind of, that's where I conceptualize myself as someone who came in and went, I think numismatics is what I'm interested in, but I don't really have an opportunity at my home university to figure out if that's a gut feeling that is right or not. And I think definitely after the first two days of lecture, there was an element of just like, oh, yeah, these are exactly the questions that I'm interested in asking. Like, oh, there's people who do this in like interesting and cool ways, which is super nice. I'm Alan Kendall. I'm at the uh, University of Michigan. Uh, All right. Uh, who's your supervisor? Uh, they're here. Huh? The Michigan oh, or, yeah, or no, here? No, no, here Michigan, the, Michigan, Michigan. Michigan. Uh, Ian Moyer. Ian Moyer. Is the okay. Hellenistic historian. Okay. Um, how far along are you in your PhD studies? I just finished my fourth year. Okay. So I am, uh, in theory, uh, a dissertation. <laughs> So you've done comps and Yeah, I've done comps. I've defended my dissertation prospectus, and I am, in theory, working on my dissertation, starting to work on my dissertation okay. this summer. The, what, uh, what topic did you settle on? Uh, Ptolemaic queens, okay. and sort of how, over the course of the dynasty, we get growth in sort of female power within the dynasty, and how that, and not so much looking at, looking, I guess looking at how the, the, that grew and changed, how the nature, and how the nature of like what it meant to be queen changed over time from starting with being women being you know featured prominently in public to them gaining you know indirect behind the scenes influence to finally you know being named actual rulers and you know by the time we get to Cleopatra effectively ruling by themselves yeah no, absolutely um the uh, you're probably familiar with the Kathy Lorber's books. Yes. Then, yes. Okay. We are we are hopefully in September uh, publishing Coins of the Ptolemaic Empire Part Two. Oh, good. I have been <laughs> <laughs> I have been waiting, hoping it would come out come out soon. Uh, yeah. Part one has been very <laughs> very helpful. We got back our corrections from our papyrologists, and we're putting those in, and we send it to the proofreader, and then mm -hmm. once that's done, then we'll we'll send it to the printer, and, and uh, that's that. So excellent, excellent we don't timing. Have too much longer to wait. <laughs> um, wow. So is is that your topic now that you're here at the summer seminar? Is that the topic that you're working on, or you're working on something a little different? I, I yes ish. I'm um, 
been looking into, and it's still in the early phases because we're just starting, but um, been looking into the the process or like the the process by which women, royal women, get put on coins in the first place. Um, because, you know, prior to this period, I mean, prior to Alexander, no living person was put on coins, and then you get the early kings, Ptolemy putting himself on, and then you start getting, in some places, the queens put on, but you get them, you know, the put on in the, in the Ptolemaic kingdom, but it takes a lot longer for the Seleucids to put women on, so I'm kind of interested in, in the, I don't know, the how and the why, and the why the difference... Yeah, and it's still. <laughs> it, makes, it makes perfect sense, and you've come to the right place. Um, so, how did you find out about the summer seminar in the first place? That's a good, que- good question. Uh, I, don't remember. I remember looking at. I think I came across it while I was still. I was either doing my master's or in my undergrad, and thought, "Oh, this would be a cool thing to do in the at some point in the future." Uh, then started grad school in twenty fall twenty nineteen, and then <laughs> we had uh, plans to have a f- uh, family get together that summer in twenty twenty. So I was like, well, I won't do any summer programs, and of course the world shut down. Yeah. Uh, so this was then ended up being the first time to, after that, to apply and do it. So I don't remember how I came across. It. Maybe someone must have mentioned it, or I came across it online. Well, now that you're here, um, what were your first impressions, like day one when you showed up? Uh, or how were you feeling? What, what was it like? Uh, it was, I mean, a lot of, it was a lot of things all at once, because it was also my f- first time in New York City. Oh, so I'd wow, okay. been here, I mean, I got here like the Saturday before, but I, so I'm still like feeling like, oh, these buildings are so huge, <laughs> <laughs> so big. And then, uh, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, now look at all these real coins. And I was like, you mean I actually get to like touch them and hold them? them so it was really cool because I've only dealt with you know pictures and they I don't know that doesn't it's very different to see them pictures to actually hold the actual objects and then to no, just realize what you, there you, is you're, you're absolutely right I remember the, the, the first Athenian owl I ever held in my hand I was just astonished by the weight of it mm-hmm. you know it's like this is significant this is significant <laughs> this this feels like money should yeah, feel yes it feels it feels very different from like our like the our pocket change that we you know, the less than dollar <laughs> coins that we have. Yes. No, no, um, absolutely. Um, I, guess, I guess my last question is, it's, it's interesting, you know, you started your PhD studies in 2019, and then, and then you had the, the pandemic. Yes. And so what was that like as a, as a graduate student? Because you, you've done your master's, and so you knew how it was supposed to be. <laughs> and then you went to your PhD. Did you do your master's also at Michigan? And, and no, I did the, uh, no, I did my undergrad and master's at uh, Brigham Young. Okay, university cool. before. Yeah, and so so what was it like, you know, doing, like, your PhD studies and your coursework in lockdown? It, <laughs> it was weird. Um, just, I mean, it, I feel like there were some, some, some nice things about it, some lots of less than nice things about it. For example, just the lack of separation between, you know, homework, since I was doing everything from the same... You know, single bedroom because you're living with living with five roommates, so it's not like public spaces to to go to. Uh, and then like the at least for the first bit before you know, libraries got better digitizing, just not being able to trying to write papers without access to library resources, which 
lots of things we're working on ancient Egypt. So lots of things just aren't digitized. <laughs> digitized. You're like, well, I'm gonna hope no one's made this argument before because I can't <laughs> prove one way or the other. Um, that being said, I think it got me better at using remote resources, and as those became more available, that's been nice to keep <laughs> doing. But there's, I don't know, doing a language language classes online just feels not real. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, can, I can't even imagine, you know, what it'd be like to like do your ancient Greek. Yeah. <laughs> thankfully, I mean, thankfully, thankfully, I was far enough along, but I was doing. Um, uh, I started in my PhD program studying Middle Egyptian hieroglyphs, and so switched to doing that online. You know, halfway through the second introductory semester, and like, I don't know, this is how do I juggle having the five different screens with all the papers on it? Because I can also can't print anything, <laughs> anything, and just yeah, I don't know, it doesn't feel real. <laughs> Umit Ostuk. I'm a fifth year PhD student in ancient history at Stanford. Okay. Yeah. And uh, do, what's your uh, thesis topic? Um, it's the dissertation is called Social Lives of Fiscal Institutions. Um, so when I say fiscal, it also includes monetary systems as well. It's it's the way of how groups, not just states, uh, fund their activities together as a kind of cooperation. That's how they collaborate and do things, and collaboration is a bit overemphasized here, it's extraction in it, obviously, yeah. but what I do is that I look at not just states, but different regional units or even small associations and see how they fund their activities together and what are the potential consequences of those actions. Are you working uh, primarily in antiquity, or is this contemporary, or are you taking a look at both and then seeing where they meet and how they inform each other. I see. Because of the uh, realistic aims of finishing a dissertation. <laughs> yeah, <I got laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it started as the kind of, oh, I'm going to do the Eastern Mediterranean fiscal history. No, that's not going to happen, obviously. So I ended up with uh, Athenian and the Egyptian cases. So they will be a little long term, but long term meaning like the sixth century, do you go to second, but including both ends also. Um, and then, yeah, that period is primarily like what I focus, and yeah. Well, when, when it comes time to write the book, do you think you'll expand upon that? I mean, that that was the hope, at least. Uh, that's how they convinced me to do this case study, so that I can do the comparison between these two different systems, and then eventually, because now we have really good amount of research and the data accumulated so you can actually expand it and then make sense of the larger like the geographies and the different practices. So. Um, what kind of numismatic evidence do you use to inform the research? Yeah, uh, with the numismatic evidence, um, at least, I mean, especially nowadays, I'm looking at the pre-Ptolemaic, pre-Alexander Egypt and the monetization going on there, which is a kind of really confusing topic on its own and a lot of good people work on this and now Peter Van Alphen asked me to look at it again. Um, so I'm looking at in particular the imitations of the Athenian owls in Egypt as well as some of uh, the packed silver uh, and their pre-weights so I'm trying to put them together to make sense of the 
like the monetary topography with relation to the fiscal institutions at the time, at least as far as we have evidence for. And so that's your project uh, for the, I guess the latter part of the seminar is to, to go through and take a look at that, take a look at those coins, uh, the silver and whatnot, and maybe do some meteorology and some other things. Yeah, exactly. And putting all the available, like the research and the data together and going through the coins and then trying to make sense of what we have in terms of the coinage, yeah. Um, how did you first hear about the ANS Summer Seminar? Uh, so, uh, Peter Van Alphen was teaching this, and he's still doing it, uh, this short introductory numismatic seminar in Turkey. So, I was, I, I think, in their first cohort. Uh, it was in Antalya, Antalya, Turkey, in 2017. So, I did that course, and then he mentioned that as an option. And then I decided to do my PhD here in U.S., and, but ANS was still in my mind. But then COVID hit. I'm here, I guess, three years later than original plan. Yeah. But yeah. But no, I'm sorry you had to wait so long. No, no. It, it was worth the wait. It is. It's worth. I mean, the the resources and the people here are just great. I mean, I wanted this for like so many years. I'm very happy that I'm here now and taking advantage of all this available. So, have you been into the vault yet? Have you have you had a chance to play around and touch coins? And I haven't yet. I okay. did my first uh, introductions, but I haven't started working with the coins yet. I guess it will start maybe later this week or next, next week. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what was your first impression when you got when you got to the ANS and you were know, coming in for the first day and everything? What were you feeling? Uh, it was actually weird coming from uh, Palo Alto, California, yeah. and uh, I kind of forgot what a city looks like. And taking a metro here in a public transport and then coming to this really giant building, it was really weird experience. But at the same time. I mean, I enjoyed being in a city, like especially in New York, but also the being in ANS. You don't expect ANS to be in this kind of building, I guess, you would expect, I guess, because of the uh, material that you have here is like ancient, so you expect a kind of historical building housing this we collection, used to right? Be. We yeah. Used to be, you know, in a historical building with columns. And yeah, yeah, here we go. And, and all of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, not so much. This 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 building actually used to hold uh, printers. Oh, you know, just you know, newspaper printers, magazine printers, and whatnot. And uh. so that's why the floors are so thick and everything's cement and concrete and everything, so that uh, the printers didn't fall through the floor, or <laughs> crash through the ceiling, or whatnot. Uh, so that's. But it's great because with a vault full of eight hundred thousand coins made out of metal, yes, you it's need safe. To have that support. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's that's why we're here. My name is Patricia Hatcher, and I am a PhD student at the CUNY Graduate Center here in New York. Um, how did you uh, first hear about the ANS Summer Seminar? I was taking a Roman women class with Elizabeth McCauley, and she brought us to ANS one day so that we could look at coins depicting women, and I learned about the seminar that way. Okay, excellent. Um, so. What are you working on at the Graduate Center? What's your topic? 
Uh, I'm glad you didn't say dissertation because I am not there yet. I concentrate on mythology and I specifically focus on monsters, female monsters in the ancient world and I am trying to incorporate more physical objects, so working beyond the, the text to get a sense of what people thought about them. Okay, so with the numismatic evidence that you found so far, I'm assuming that they've let you into the vault to play, you know, at least a little bit. Um, so what monsters have you found so far uh, that are living back there in our drawers? <laughs> uh, there's definitely some Medusas and the Gorgon. Uh, a few sirens have popped up here and there. Okay. Yeah. I, if you find Lamia, I'd like to know. <laughs> <laughs> that would be cool. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just thinking about this. Like, I wonder if there's a Lamia coin. Maybe would it be scary? I don't know. It's like, would people use it or would it be epitropaic? Probably along the same lines as the Medusa, the Gorgon. Yeah. Mm. So do we have we have Gorgonea on coins? Mm-hmm, yeah. absolutely, yeah. And were, they, were they used or were they just hidden in a drawer? <laughs> I have no idea about that. I've been yeah. looking at the uh, book on Etruscan coins and there were a lot of Medusa heads, Gorgon heads, I never know which to use. And they're definitely apotropaic, but also they could be a reference to Athena in many ways because she's on the Aegis for her. Okay. So this is your project then for the seminars to to look at the numismatic evidence that will support whatever thesis that you're coming up with when dealing with uh, you know uh, female monsters. Maybe um, maybe not. Right? I'm not sure okay. yet. Okay. No, <laughs> I might be doing something with Sextus Pompey and Neptune, but oh wow! Okay, tell me more about that. Well, the the idea is perhaps that Sextus Pompey was using the image of Neptune to reference his father yeah. as a way to bolster his claim to, to be fighting for the Republic and uh, that maybe Octavian stole the idea from him of not necessarily using Neptune but other gods to affiliate with his father. Wow. I wouldn't put it past him. No, no. He's, he's a smart, wily little one, that one, Octavian. <laughs> Oh my gosh, uh, you're absolutely right. Um, I, I I must confess, I, I run the ANS Twitter, and so I see you posting about Coin Camp. No. <laughs> and, and I love that idea, and I think you should make shirts that will say like ANS Coin Camp, because summer seminars, you know, it's a little fussy, <laughs> and, and Coin Camp, I think actually is a little more close to what we're trying to do here, where you know, you're free to ask questions and explore and find what you like, what you don't like, and you have access to stuff, you know, we try to make a fun program, so, so Coin Camp is good, keep, <laughs> keep promoting it, let's, yeah, let's do that, um, let's see, so, you're coming out of a, a classics background or archaeology background, not necessarily a mathematics one? Yes, so I, I do kind of between philology and cultural history. Um, I was an American Studies major in my undergrad days, and so that's very interdisciplinary, and I'm trying to work that with classics. Okay. Um, change the subject for a minute. Um, when, when you first got to Coin Camp, day one, what was your, what was your impression, you know, like walking, walking through the front door, walking into the space, and then getting the tour and stuff? What, what was going through your mind when this was all happening? Oh, this is like Fort Knox. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah. <laughs> and to be uh, open about, I had posted a picture about being here, and one of my best friends from undergrad days texted me and said, what are you doing in that building? And I went, oh, I'm here to study coins. And yeah. he goes, I work in that building. Oh, and we talked to it, and apparently the other company or whoever is here, they had thought that this was maybe a front for the CIA because of all the security. <laughs> so if it Did is you the tell CIA. Him yes? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I told him, no, no, it's not that. And if, if I'm able to, I will give him a tour at some point if I'm allowed to let him in so that he can let others know it's not a front. Hussein Kakash, uh, Suleiman Demirel University, uh, Department of Archaeology. Okay, and where is that specifically? In, in Turkey, in Sparta uh, okay. district. Well, welcome. Um, how did you get approached to be the faculty mentor uh, for the summer seminar? Uh, this is my third time in being uh, ANS. Yes. So Peter invited me that kind of uh, opportunity uh, and offered me the the seminar things uh, and and thanks to ANS uh, uh, provided me the Eric Newman uh, fellowship so I'm uh, here for yes. the summer seminar yeah. and also I have a, another project because I got scholarship from Turkey uh, about the uh, coinage of uh, Kios. Okay, yeah. what are you working specifically on Kios for? I mean, what's uh, this Kiosk coins coming from the uh, uh, from a museum in Turkey. Uh, it's a uh, hoard uh, found not in Kios. Kios is the north part of the Turkey, and but in the middle of the uh, western side, the hoard found. Then I uh, studied at the Isonor excavations. So the museum staff offered me to study this uh, hoard. So. I got to uh, study and got scholarship. Wow, welcome. Um, so, have you found that the ANS has a decent collection and representation of coinage from Kios? Yes, yeah. uh, they are. And when I uh, was looking at the coinage of uh, Kios, so I found a publication from 1963. So, he just used uh, 14 specimens of Kios coinage, uh, it's housed in ANS. So there are another coin, coins of Ines in this collection. So it's uh, helped my study. Okay. Um, so when you were not working on the kiosk coinages and you were you're you're working with the students, what specifically do you do? Are are you serving as a mentor? Are you leading the lectures? Um, how does that work? Uh, I got two lectures actually. Mm -hmm. uh, one I finished uh, yet. Okay. <laughs> and uh, Peter asked me to help the students. At Actually, two of them, uh, they started to studying on uh, hoard. So uh, I got uh, my experience on to develop their studying on coinage, also the hoard studies. So yeah, 
I think I can help them. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's a useful topic, and you know, in, in speaking with uh, most of the cohort so far today, mm -hmm. um, you know, they're coming from a lot of varied experience with numismatics, and and for most of them, and this is maybe one of the one of the first years, one of the rare years, where they're not coming in as numismatists per mm -hmm. se. They're coming in as students who use numismatics as a tool to support their research. Yes. But they've never done a die study. They've never studied hordes, you know, together. Yeah. They're, they're not quite sure where to go. So having you as a mentor yeah, uh, like to teach them you know, how to do this yeah, is yeah, a valuable right. skill. That's right. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, how's it been so far? It's been a couple of weeks now, right? No, it's a uh, yeah, mm, couple months. Couple, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I left two months uh, more. Yeah. So it's quite very well. Yes. Yeah, I like being here. I like uh, studying in here because I can reach what I need here uh, as far as coins and publications and something like that. And I love this lovely atmosphere of ANS, actually. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when was the first time that you came to the ANS? What year was that? Uh, 2020. Oh, wow. Just so beginning of the right uh, pandemic. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so this is before things started to shut down, yeah? Is yeah, the, uh, 15 days ago I came here, oh then gosh. shut down. Oh. So I just oh. uh, stuck at home uh, four months. Oh, my word. Then July and August I came again uh, to or third time in a week here. Okay. So, but uh, it's okay because I can, uh, I could manage to good work here. Yes. Yeah. And and but now, yeah. <laughs> now the, you have the entire city. You know. You yeah, have, yeah. You have everything. <laughs> that's um, that's fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's been your favorite part of New York? Uh, actually, I never saw visit all of them because it's huge. Yeah. It's yeah, Manhattan is huge. So, but I liked. Uh, Met Museum and that area, mm -hmm. the Central Park area, and it's it's uh, I think it's so different kind of city, is my experience. So sometimes I can feel myself so little because of the skyscrapers, mm -hmm. but sometimes a part of the city. So it's exciting to be here. So I like it. I as far as I uh, chance, I choose different paths from here to Port Authority, to bus station, so I saw many things. <laughs>